Last week we started an introduction on the fruit of the Spirit. And notice I said fruit because it's one fruit. Uh, it has nine characteristics. We talked about the idea of Christian growth last week. We dealt with this idea of, um, as, a, as a born into this world, we're sinners, and that's how we're known. We're, we're known by, um, as sinners. That's the root stock. And when we get saved, God doesn't change that. We still have that root stock. We still have that old nature, that sin nature. But what God does is God grafts the Holy Spirit, God, into our lives. So in essence, he takes that, that plant, chops it off, puts himself onto it. And we talked about the idea that as, as we grow as Christians, that rootstock always wants to send up certain things, and, and we call them suckers that, that take things out of your life and take things away from what God's trying to grow. So our series that we're, we're going to dive into here on the fruit of the Spirit is the idea of let's talk about what God has grafted onto your life. These aren't things you add to your life. They're things that are already there that God has already put into your life. The question is whether or not you nurture them and feed them and encourage them or if you allow that root stock, that old nature to pop up. So as we deal with each one of the fruit of the spirit characteristics, we're also going to look at the root stock, what tends to come up that Satan tries to produce. And so we're going to be dealing with, because there's a play here, okay? So, okay, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but just hang on. Okay, today we're going to deal with love, and the idea of love is the rootstock is fear, and I'll, I'll explain how that all works in a second. So here's a question. If, if God has grafted on the idea of love, and Satan is continually trying to produce fear, how do I deal with fear? Well, the, the solution to dealing with fear in our lives is to deal with the love that God has grafted onto our lives. Love takes care of the fear part of it, and so you can understand as we start to develop it that when I'm dealing with fear, the, the solution is love. And, um, and so we're going to look at both. And as we go through each one of the fruits, we're going to look at what Satan tries to produce in your life and what God's trying to produce. So um, with that in mind, uh, let me give you a couple, let me just give you the passage. Uh, it's in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is, and, and there's actually nine characteristics. Uh, some people put them in groups of three. Um, here's a simple breakdown. I'm not sure it's the best one, but it's, it is one. Love, joy, peace. That deals with your relationship to God. Um, forbearance, uh, gentleness, or kindness and goodness. That deals with your relationship to internal characteristics of yourself. And then attributes that you should have towards others. Um, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So God be others is kind of the idea that some people break them down. Uh, basically, here's what Paul is saying when he writes this to the people. He's saying, um, look, and in fact, when you go through Galatians, here's what you find. Prior to this, there's a whole list of works of the flesh. When Paul gets to Galatians chapter 5, he says, look, now that we've talked about what the flesh does, let me talk about what God's done. And he, he focuses on these nine um, characteristics that God has developed um, in our life. So, this morning, we're going to focus on the first one, okay? Uh, because it is somewhat of the foundation of all these. You've got to have this, this aspect of love has a foundation that impacts joy and peace. And so in some, all of these, so it kind of overlaps, okay, a little bit. And that's why he deals with these first. What you need to understand is in Galatians chapter 5, Paul has already talked about this idea of love um, in Galatians uh, chapter 2. Here's what he says. Um, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. Now, we've got to talk about love for a second so that we understand this. And this will be a review for some of you. For some of you, this is new. In the Greek language, at the time that this was written, there were three words for love. Okay? Um, there was the word um, eros. We get our English word erotic from it. That was a physical, sensual, self-pleasing type of love. When the Bible talks about love in the New Testament, it never uses that word. Okay? Um, so God doesn't have, I mean, God talks about uh, sinful things, but he doesn't talk about this word erotic, this, or eros, where we get our word erotic from. What you need to understand is our culture, American culture, often deals with this idea of eros-type love. That's what you see all the time in, in, in our culture. That becomes the focus. It's physical, primarily. And we deal with this physical idea regarding love. And we make love primarily a physical thing. We make it a, a, a biological act. Um, and, and we call that love. Okay? Um, that's not what we're talking about here in Galatians chapter 5. We're not talking about the, the physical side of love. The second word that's used is the word phileo. Um, that happens to be a uh, more of an emotional type love. Uh, we get our word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So the idea of, of phileo kind of love is this companionship, this closeness, this... Um, this idea of emotional, sometimes when in our society, you know, it, it's, think of it this way. It's the Valentine kind of love. You know, I love you, do you love me, big heart candy, bear, you know, that kind of love. It's all emotional kind of thing, you know. It's the kind of thing, you know, it's the googly eye kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about, you know. You know, you watch these young couples and you're like, slap you silly. Um, <clears throat> it's that emotional kind of thing. It's that, it, it, it's, it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of friendship kind of thing. Uh, it's a companionship kind of thing. Okay? Uh, it's, not, it's used in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus, remember Jesus and Peter when they're having that big discussion? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? God's using a different word. And finally, at the end, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, I phileo you. I love you like a brotherly kind of love. And, and Jesus was trying to get Peter to go way beyond that to the last word, which is an agape type love. This is the type of love that's often talked about in the New Testament. Um, it's used uh, 116 times. Um, it, it is a spiritually deep kind of love. It is a love that is driven and focused on other people, not yourself. Okay? Um, okay, I've got to go on this rabbit trail because I'm here. So young people who are dating or older people who are dating or whoever you are who are dating, we deal with this issue from time to time of is it okay to date someone who's not a Christian? Is it okay to marry someone who's not a Christian? Um, I, I think the answer to that is um, no, you don't want to marry someone who's not a Christian. And let me give you an, an, a quick explanation why. I think there's some passages in Scripture that actually are explicit here. But on the basis of this love thing, let me explain it to you this way. If I marry someone who's not a Christian, we can have an eros-type love, a physical love. And we can have a phileo, a, 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 a brotherly love kind of love, a companionship kind of love. 
But an agape type love is God-centered. It is sourced in God. That person will never, ever be able to love you in that way. In other words, I can have a, if I have, if, if, if my partner, if my, my mate, my, my, my marriage partner is, is not a Christian, we can have a physical relationship and we can have an emotional relationship, but we can never, ever have a spiritual relationship. So you are limiting how far and how deep that relationship can ever be. Um, and I think you're robbing yourself. Because God ultimately wants you to have that, that, that deep intimacy that is spiritual, physical, and emotional all tied together. And so, um, you know, when we get into this issue, I, I think it's very, very clear that you understand when we talk about this, that we're talking about the idea of that's ultimately God wants for all of us. For those of you who are married, God doesn't want it to just be physical and emotional. He wants this agape type love. This agape type love that we're talking about puts the other person in front of me. Um, it, it seeks out, it, it, for God so loved the world that he gave. God saw us in need and wanted to meet that need. That's agape. Um, it, it, it talks about it this way. Um, and uh, let me give you the passage that's going to kind of lay this out. In 1 John. Here's what it says. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. So this idea of God's love, what we're talking about is when you became a Christian, God chopped off that, that, that old life that was, had all kinds of fruit. And he placed himself, he grafted himself onto you. And part of it is the idea of love. God is love. So he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. He says, God and love are connected. Okay? If God has grafted the, himself onto you, he's grafted the idea of love into your life. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Just as Jesus came and showed love, so we're to show love, because Jesus is now part of our lives. There is no, here's the connection, there is no fear in love. You get that? Fear and love can't exist together. There's no fear in love. But perfect love, mature love, drives out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not or cannot be made mature in love. So in other words, fear is the root that wants to come up. Love is what God has given. Love conquers fear. So if you're constantly afraid, you need to develop the love of God has in your life. Because love will get rid of this. Right? Notice what he goes on to say. Next passage. Continue on. We love, why? Because he first loved us. That's, that's why we love. Whoever claims to love God and hates a brother or sister is a liar. You're going to sit here and tell me you love God, but you hate your brother or sister in Christ, then you're a liar. You don't love God. For whoever does not love the brother or sister whom they have seen can't love God whom they have not seen. He says, if you're sitting there and saying, I can't love that person, how in the world are you going to love a God that you can see? 
Because God loved them. That's why they're the brother or sister in Christ. They become a Christian. And he has given us this command. This is not an option. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everybody says, you're going to call yourself a Christian. You're going to call yourself a Christ follower. You have no option but to love other people. Period. Well, you don't know that person. It's not if the person has done this, then you don't have to love them. If the person is that, you don't have to love them. It's clear. You love your brother and sister, period. Not optional for us. Jesus said it this way. Um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said, tell us, and it's interesting, when you look at this passage, they look at Jesus and they say, tell us what the greatest commandment is. And he gives them two. Why? Because actually it's one. It's actually one commandment. In other words, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and other people too. That's what he says. Again, it's not an option for us as believers. So we have to deal with this issue of, okay, so I'm, what you're telling me is that I am supposed to love. Yes, you are supposed to love, period. Now, he talks about this idea of fear, okay? And, and a lot of people don't understand how this connected. So let me walk you through a couple of things and tell you where we are as a culture and how I think all this applies and how this will help you this week. So we've got to spend a little bit of time, first of all, talking about this fear thing, all right? So... You have to understand fear. To understand fear, you have to realize that fear is rooted in insecurity. It's rooted in the idea of, well, what's going to happen to me? What's, what, what do those people think about me? How, how is that going to uh, respond to me? And so what happens is you tend to compensate for those fears by putting up barriers and protecting yourself. The way that you get past that is through love. Let me explain to you from the world that I'm comfortable in, theater. I don't care what survey you read out there. When they ask people for their top fears, in the top five, every single time is public speaking, getting in front of people. It's one of the top five fears of, in just about any survey they talk about fear, this one comes up, okay? Um, I am a speech minor. When I was in college, uh, I was a Bible major. I was a speech minor. In public speaking, I took enough classes I could almost double major. I decided not to double major because I didn't want to do a recital and stay at school longer and give them more money. So I just took all the classes but didn't get the major. So uh, I, when, I, when I did that, there's a couple of things that I learned in theater. And since then, I've, I, I teach, I, I've taught high school speech. And um, currently, I'm a judge with the state of Iowa for High School Speech Association. So it's kind of a world I'm comfortable with. Um, here's what you learn in speech to get people over the fear of speaking in front of people. You do a couple of things. Number one, you try to get them in love with the script or the message. See, if I can get the, a kid or a group of people or whoever to focus on, on, on the message or on the script, then that becomes the most important thing instead of what's everybody thinking about me. 
If you can't do that, you try to get them in love with the character. So they want everybody to understand this character or portray this character. But the best motivation to get people, to get students, whatever, to perform in a, in a play or something like that, is to get them to fall in love with the teacher. Because what happens is they so much want to please that teacher, they will go to incredible heights and pull things out that no one thought they were capable of. I had a teacher like that. I had a teacher in college, Don Ryerson. Uh, we, everybody on campus called him the man with the golden touch because here's the way it worked. If Don Ryerson was in charge of the production, it was gonna be a production everybody was gonna be talking about the next day. You wanted to be a part of anything he was putting on, whether it was a Vespers or a play or anything else. And I was very fortunate that I got to work with him for a number of years and learn underneath him. But he was one of those things that he had the ability, you, you so much, he got so excited when you did something great, you wanted to do something great again to get him more excited. It was so much fun to, to perform for him. That's the idea. The idea is that when you focus on your love for God, you don't worry about the other stuff. The fears go, go off to the side. Because you're so focused on pleasing and loving God and other people that it just it melds itself out. This, this is what he's talking about. And when he talks about this idea of fear, what happens is we, we get so focused on our fears that we don't understand what it's doing to us. Um, <clears throat> listen to this. Because okay, this is just basic fear 101. Okay, here's fear 101. Here's what it says. Fear is one of the most basic human elements, emotions. It is programmed into the nervous system and works like an instinct. From the time we're infants, we are equipped with the survival instincts necessary to respond with fear. And when we sense danger or feel unsafe, fear helps protect us. So here's what you understand. Fear is a good thing in certain, 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 in certain situations. <sighs> Get ahead of myself. Um, fear is a good thing. There's an instinct with fear. But fear is also conditioned, okay? You and I are taught to fear certain things. It's not natural to fear certain things. We are taught, some of you were taught to fear certain types of people. Um, I spent enough time in the South to know. They were taught, conditioned. Um, I, I had a friend of mine, he was a pastor. He was studying to be the minister. And he was from Alabama. And he was anti-black. I mean, he was against black people. And I never forget, because he came to me once and he said, hey, I want you to pray for me. Because I used to be with him all the time and tell him how wrong it was. Because um, I was from Detroit, Chicago. I mean, come on. You know? Uh, you know, I mean, I was in, I was in, you know, I, was, I, I got to Detroit after the race riots, just right after the race riots in, in Detroit. So, I, I grew up in that kind of culture, understanding that hatred and what it did. And so I was in, so I'll never forget Mark. <clears throat> he, he was going to go on this, he, he was working with this group. What they do is they go into a town and they'd share the gospel, and it was a lot of kids. And sometimes they'd have like 500, 600, 700 kids there. And Mark said, I want you to pray for me because I'm going to be preaching during those times, and afterwards I'm going to get to lead kids to the Lord. And I said, Okay, Mark. I said, Here's the deal. I said, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that every single day, you have put your arm around some little black kid and lead him to the Lord. I said, until you realize this is wrong. You know? 
And, and it was one of those things because he had been brought up, conditioned, prejudiced against people who had certain different color skin type. And it was like, oh, that's not right. It's not right. And so it was one of those kinds of cultures that, so some of it is conditioned. I saw this, this when we were in uh, South Dakota um, with Claire. Okay, we, for some reason, well, I know why. She has this fascination with snakes. She loves snakes. Okay? Most people are conditioned to go, no snake. Okay? Well, Josh and Alex have a ball python as a pet snake. And that's why they're, they're, they're strange. That's their strange thing. So um, that, that's their thing. They, they, they have this ball python snake that they keep. And so from the time Claire's been little, Claire's been able to play with this ball python snake. And, and, and rub it and pet it and is taught, you know, how to be around snakes and that kind of thing. So when we get to South Dakota, first on the list is reptile garden, okay? And of course, on the list is, I want to see the snake show. So, so we got there early, we're sitting on the front row for the snake show. And they're bringing out all these snakes and, I mean, just wide-eyed and that's the coolest thing in the world. So afterwards, they had a yellow python snake, big, huge, long, I mean, like, like six feet long thing. Big, and he said, after the show, I'm gonna come down and I'm going to hold the snake and if anybody wants to come up and pet it, you can pet it. So, you know, Gene's like, I'm way over there. And Claire's, Claire's like, I can't wait to go pet the python snake. By the way, we bought a, a stuffed animal yellow python snake. Uh, but anyway, um, so he brings out this yellow python snake and he's petting and Claire's talking to him and he says, it's yellow, it's my favorite color. And this guy made the mistake of looking at this three-and-a-half-year-old and saying, so, do you want to take him home with you? <laughs> yeah! Can I take him home with you? And then he realized, oh, no, this is a child who likes snakes. You know, I, no, it has to stay here. Um, and, and, and so I was going to say, but again, that's a condition thing. She was taught to be comfortable around them. Okay. My wife, on the other hand, grew up in Virginia with cotton mouse. The only good snake is a dead snake, okay? So, so that's my wife's philosophy. My wife's philosophy is fight or flight, see a snake, run. Can't run, fight it, okay? So like I say, there's some things that are instinct. There are some things that are conditioned, all right? That's how we develop fears. That's what happens in our lives regarding fear. So, Listen to what happens, though, when fear comes into your life. Okay? Here's what they tell us. The first thing that happens is what we call a fight-or-flight response. Your brain has to decide, do I run or do I fight? Okay? So any fear that you have, that's what starts to happen. Here's what happens next. Your heart rate increases you get what's called tunnel vision. You now become focused on that one thing. Everything else becomes blurry. The cortisol levels in your body, which is stress hormones, rise. Your body starts shutting down certain functions so that all of the energy in your body can go to the muscles that are going to need to either fight or run. And that's what happens. Then the rational part of your brain, because the hormone levels have taken over, disengage. 
you now act instinctively. And your feet just start running or your body just starts fighting. And you instantly start focusing only on the danger and on the negatives. That is physiologically what happens to you. I want you to stop and think about this for a minute. Because you want to know what's happening in our culture right now? We have a fear-driven culture. You want me to sum up the whole, I don't care what party you're from, you want me to sum up the entire political campaign for the next couple of years? Fear-driven. If I can get people to be afraid, they'll vote for me. We have a whole culture. And by the way, churches do this. Media does this. Christian organizations do this. Politicians do this. And we're developing a whole group of people who are trying to motivate them to fight. Driven and motivated by fear. You think about it for a minute. Some of you grew up in churches and denominations that were driven by fear. And you were taught, do this or God will get you. And so all of a sudden you get introduced to the love of God and the love of Christ. It's like, whoa, this is a different ballgame. Why? Because love and fear don't, 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 don't mesh together. And what I think has happened in our culture and what I think is happening to us if we're not careful is we're being driven by fear. And God is grafted in love. We don't have to act that way. We don't have to respond that way. So all of a sudden, we're driven by the idea of death and uh, people start getting afraid. They don't understand that God's loved them and saved them. We have uh, people who start worrying about the future or their circumstances or that kind of thing. And before you know it, we end up all bent out of shape Hormone levels are all off. Tunnel vision, we're so focused on everything else, we, we, we miss the forest for the trees. Or trees for the forest, you know what I mean. I don't know which one it is, but one of those, okay? Because we got that tunnel vision kind of thing going on. So let's talk about a couple of things as we go forward this week and, and this idea of bringing love into our lives and allowing it to drive us rather than fear. Let's talk about this as a church for a moment. As a church, I don't care who walks through those doors. We love them as they are. Some three-headed alien walks in the doors. We embrace them, love them, tell them we're glad they're here. It's not about how they look. It's not about how they dress. It's not about how they act. It's about the fact that that's a human being God loves and cares about. And because love has been grafted in our lives, we can love and care for them just like God does as well. I believe that is the sense that we have developed within this place. That's the sense that we want to always have here. Um, it's interesting because I've heard comments from the two, two people who spoke that were here. It's always fun for me to hear the, their comments when someone outsiders coming in looking at the congregation. And, and in both situations, they sense the love. They sense the fact that God was working here. And that's important. Because we want this to be a kind of place that honors um, God. And one of the ways that we do that is we love people as they are. Um, 
one of the things that will happen in your life and one of the things that will start to happen when fear starts to creep in is one of the things you will start to do is question whether or not God loves you. Well, if God loves me, why does he let this happen to me? <clears throat> I'm going to say this, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I may, it may bother you with the, the, the intensity with which I say this, but I'm going to, I want to make my point, so I'm going to be very, very explicit here. I know we all, at some point in our life, go there and ask that question. So I, I, I'm not lamb blasting you for asking that question. But if that's your continued realm of thought, let me say this. As an American, you have no right to ever question whether or not God loves you. Um, for the simple fact. Now, I, I'm not even talking about the cross thing. I'm not talking about the dying for your sin thing. I'm talking about the fact that he allowed you to be born in America. You live at a standard of living greater than like 95% of the world. You and I have, we sit in a building with cushioned seats and air conditioning. Everybody complains it's too cold. Okay? I control it. Okay? Right? Yeah, you think it's hot down there. You think it's cold down there. You ought to be up here where it's hot. Um, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'll sit on a platform if it's warmer up there. Um, yeah, and on the new building, we made sure we put the registers way up high so you couldn't cover them all like you did in the old building. Um, but, I mean, seriously, we're, we, you, some of you are going to go get in a car where one of you wants it colder than the other person, and you have your own controls. Everyone in here this morning got up and opened a refrigerator full of food and chose something. You slept last night with a roof over your head that you didn't have to patch and keep going up every single time there was a storm and fix. You went to a closet full of clothes. You, you, you chose, some of you chose which car to drive today. Some of you are like me, where not only do you get to choose which car to drive, but you have cars or vehicles that are just for fun. You have a motorcycle or a boat or, 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 or an ATV, and you're going, no, maybe you know that ATV, I use that for the farm. That's, a, that's my workhorse thing. Yeah, okay, keep lying to yourself. But anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean. You know, we have so many things. I, my house is set up. I, we moved my mom's hutch in, and it had a light on it and all that kind of thing, and, and it didn't have a switch. So I set it up, so I walk in my house and I say, Alexa, turn on the hutch. And the hutch goes on. You know? And you want to question God's love for you? Take your world. You go, you go but, but my house gone south. We live in a world. We, have this, you know, we were talking about this. We live in a world. Well, we have such specialized health care that we, we talk about trials and we talk about options. 95% of the world doesn't even get to make that choice. They just die struggling. And we complain because we can't get in the doctor fast enough. You know, 
My disc went out, and it's going to be like two weeks before they get there. You know? I still have a flip phone. I don't, but I mean, those of you who do, you know, I mean, I couldn't, not like I'm going to go to the primitive days, but I mean, I, I mean, you know, it, it, it. and you want to sit here and say, does God love me? Really? Come on. God has been so good to us. He has blessed us with so Those of you that have children, do you understand how many places in the world that the mortality rate of having a child is so much smaller than it is in this country? A blessing. For some of you, you have children who are in neonatal intensive care units. We are so blessed. We are so loved. And for us to sit there and look at a God in heaven and go, it's not enough? Don't you love me because you didn't do this? I mean, I wonder sometimes if we sound pretty ungrateful. And I don't think we mean to be that, but I think what happens is we become so used to it that we think we deserve it. And I think what happens is we become so used to it that we don't, we don't realize how much we've been given. We've been given so much. I mean, trust me, if you're an American, God loves you in a way that the world would give anything to know. And when you start to focus on God's love for you, then you start to realize that, you know what? I can love other people as well. And I can start to be loving and kind. Because I don't know about you, but I know how I treat God. And I guarantee you there's nobody on this planet who has, been, who has treated, you know, who has treated me in the same way that I've treated God at times. Or have complained because he hasn't given me this or that. And I, I, I want to challenge you because what happens is when you start to focus on God's love for you, then you can start to focus on your love for other people. And you can start to see them the way God sees them. And you can start to love other people. As a church, that's what we want to do. Second thing is this. You don't have an option. God commands you to love. You go, well, you don't understand. I don't feel like loving them. God didn't say, only love others if you feel like it. God said, I loved you, therefore you love others. And see, what happens in our culture is this. We start to see people in the terms of enemies. And we start to fear them. And when we start to see people as enemies, okay, so let me get really personal here. Whatever political party you're from, the other party is the enemy. When you have an enemy, you fear them. You fight them. You can't love them. And that becomes a problem. Because why? Fear and love, they'll match together. It's one or the other. And so when you and I start fearing a group of people, a certain type of person, you can't love them because you fear them. And the whole idea behind, again, I'm not, I'm not talking about 
You know, somebody standing there with a gun pointed to my head. Let me share with you the love of God. Embrace me, brother. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But you know what? There's a lot of, I, I, I see this in couples. I see couples make the spouse their enemy. And they can't love each other like they want to. I see this in families where you make a brother or a sister or an in-law or an outlaw or whatever else, you make them the enemy. You can't love them like you, you, you need to love them. And I understand the problem. Because I, I know some of you, I know what you're thinking. Here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, wait a minute. You know, that's a slippery slope, Pastor. You, know, you start loving everybody and you know, the next thing you know, you're allowing everything in. You know. This is a tribute to Rick Warren. I love it. Here's what it says. I think this best basically sums it up. Our culture has accepted two lies. One, you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you fear or hate them. Hey, look, I can disagree with you and still love you. And if you don't think that's true, you need to spend a little bit of time with my wife and I. Okay? Because we disagree. Okay? But you know what? That doesn't mean I fear her or hate her. Okay? We disagreed big time yesterday. I mean, you know, crazy week. I've cut the grass. You know, you know, got on a hot day, cut the grass, everything else, sitting at home, relaxing, preparing my mind for this morning as we were watching. What were we watching? Um, I don't know. Some, so, yeah, the wall, some game show, you know, kind of thing, you know, mind-numbing TV. So we're sitting here relaxing. My wife looks out the front window. Her chair sits there and goes, you know, you missed a whole strip. I'm like, honey, I went over it a couple of times. The grass was high. I didn't miss a strip. I said, that's the area where I ride across on the driveway so the mower's a little bit tilted, so that side looks higher than the other side. You missed a spot. Now, I disagree with her. She was dead wrong. Okay? Dead wrong. I cut that a couple times. I said, honey, because I know my wife, when she sits in her chair, she loves that view. And so I actually have a lawn sweeper. I had gone out and swept the lawn. Well, when I swept the lawn, the grass had laid down, then stood up, and so it all looked wrong. And so I'm like, I said, honey, it's from the lawn sweeper. And, da, 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 da. and I just knew that for the rest of the week, she was going to sit there, and that was going to bother her. So I said, I'll tell you what. I said, um, when this is over, I said, I'll run out. And I said, I'll, I'll run the mower up and down the thing. Well, no, you don't have to. Yeah, right. Uh, so, <clears throat> so anyway, so I get out there, and I, and I run it down it. And when I get, run it down it, you know what it looks like? Exactly the same thing. I was right. So I thought, okay, this is not going to solve the problem. So I decided to take the mower down one notch and cut it again. Well, now the next row looks high. So I redo the whole front deal, okay, all the way to the edge because I thought, okay, her head can only turn this far. <laughs> That's my line. So I cut the whole section again that far, okay? So let me tell you something. You go out in my front yard and you look over that edge. I'll tell you what. I can tell you where the line is. And I thought, okay, you know, you know why I did that? I did that because I love her. I disagreed with her. I still think she's wrong. I will go to my grave telling her she's wrong. But you know what? I loved her. I knew it would bother her. So I went out and cut the grass. And I didn't complain about it at all. I said, oh, honey, I'm so glad to do this because I can serve you this way. Um, <laughs> well, you are, if you believe that, you are really gullible. Um, you know, 
I came in and I said, you know what, I dropped a lower, everything's good. And she goes, oh, it looks so nice. And I'm like, okay, good. Just don't turn your head that way. Uh, but anyway, now that she knows, she's going to go home and go, are you going to do the rest of that? No, I'm not. Let it grow. It'll be done in a week again. But here's the idea, that, that, that if you disagree with somebody, you love them or hate them. Look, I can disagree with you and still love you. And to love somebody means I agree with everything they believe or do. I can still love you, even though you're doing something I don't agree with. Those of you that have children, you know this. You've looked at your kids and go, look, I don't like what you're doing. I still love you, but I'm not going to let you do that here. Or if they're older kids, you go to them and say, look, you know what? I really, this isn't a good choice for you. I love you regardless of what you decide, but I just hate to see you go down this road because I know how it ends. I can still love you and disagree with what you're doing with your lifestyle, I, we do this all the time. Both of these concepts are nonsense. You don't have to compromise your personal convictions to be compassionate. You know, I used to tell my kids, okay, you understand you're grounded for two weeks. No car. You got that? Yeah. You know I love you, right? Yeah, I know you love me, but still. Okay, good. We're good. I can disagree with what you did, and I can still love you. It's not about that. And, and what happens is so, so many times as Christians, we're like, we're so scared and lived in fear as Christians. By the way, some of you, this is why you're as frustrated as you are, because you watch TV that is fear-driven all day long. And you read stuff and you listen to stuff that just motivates this fear, 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 fear. And then you wonder why you're so grumpy. Well, you don't. But other people around you do. But it's because you're living the thing, you know, it, see past it. See past it. And the agape love that God has grafted into your life allows you to do that. Or you can let the fear shoot up all day long. It's your call. You decide which one to do. But I'm here to tell you, God gave you a different way to look at life. God gave you, grafted into your life, the ability to have someone hurt you and you still love them. God gave you the ability to have someone be totally opposite everything you stand for, and you can still love them. God gave you the ability that no matter what you're facing, you know that God loves you and that God will take care of you and that God will get you through it so you don't need to be afraid of it. But yet, you and I... We just cultivate this fear thing and this fear thing when all of a sudden love starts to take the focus. Because see, fear is focused on me, protecting me. Love is focused on reaching out to someone else. Love is seeing life from their perspective. Love is caring about them. And that's what we want to do. And I want to challenge you this week because it's easy to build that little wall and protect yourself and make it all about you this week. Now, some of you are going to be at the fair all week long. You know how the fair goes. There's always going to be decisions you probably don't like. How are you going to handle it? Love? You're going to see that person? You're not going to come. I say this often. You're not going to see a set of eyeballs this week that God doesn't love and care for. So you love and care for them the same way. 
Those are souls Christ died for. Those are people that God cares about. Those are people God wants to be part of his kingdom. And you're the opportunity to be the light and the testimony so that they may be able to do that one day. Love. It's a simple thing. But it is so deep. And for some of you who are struggling in marriages and stuff like that, honestly, it's that idea of a, ultimately a great marriage is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. It is intimacy at this deep, deep level that says, you're wrong, the grass is not high there, but I'll go out and cut it anyway. And, you know, and to my wife's credit, because I know she gets used for a lot of sermon illustrations, um, we decided to, because of this remodeling thing, we had to move, we, had, we moved some things around, and so a bunch of my t-shirts had kind of got it piled up and stuff like that, and so my wife decided yesterday to wash every one of my t-shirts. We have come to one conclusion, I do not need another t-shirt. Because <clears throat> she washed and folded every one of them. And she looked at me and said, you understand, you can wear a different t-shirt every day from now until the end of the year before I have to wash again. You know, and I said, honey, those are my identity. That's who I am. You know, that, that everybody knows that, you know, those speak of my life journeys, you know, of all of my shirts over the years. And she's, she's like, it's enough, enough is enough. So, but she, why did she do that? She loved me. She loved me. Why did I go and cut the grass? I love her. You know, and that's the kind of, we're talking about love that puts the other person in front of you. And across the board, not just with your spouse, but, but with your friends and the people that you work with. And, uh, you know, you're going to go to work this week. How can you help the person sitting next to you or working side by side? What can you do this week to show them the love of Christ? That's what we're talking about. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And you're going to find it becomes foundational. This idea of other people becomes foundational to a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about. Love. So, I end with this. Satan tries to get each one of us to live our lives driven by fear or hatred. God gives us the ability to live our lives driven by love. It is an action that we can demonstrate. It is sourced in the very character and nature of God, and that ability is grafted into our lives. As Christians, we don't have to live driven by fear this week. But we can live driven by love. So love. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, it's so easy to talk about. It is so hard to do. Lord, there are some people that are easy to love. And we don't have a problem with that. But, Lord, there are some people that it's tough. The things that they have done, the way that they act towards us, the way that they do things and, and speak to us, Lord, it just makes it really difficult to try to see past all of that. But Lord, this week, will you help us to love as you love? Lord, may we reach out to those people who may be our enemies. May we reach out to people who, Lord, uh, maybe in some ways are unlovable, Lord, because of, of their actions. Lord, would you use us? May people be able to see Christ in us. May we be able to, like the disciples, have a world that looks at us and says, boy, it's amazing how they love each other. May they see that in our lives, Lord. And may we love because you first loved us. Thanks for setting the example. Help us to follow these things we ask in your name. Amen.